We got Adam Markey from Roku with us today. He's a really good Roku player. talk. Um, he's one of the. He, he he. I like to joke with him that he invented the device graph, which is funny. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he's gonna want that like infamy, but okay. Uh, a little ad tech talk. Yo, a little ad tech, tech uh, inside juice. Yeah, I mean, he came to me. We worked together at DataZoo many years ago, and he came to me and he's like, "I got this. We got this idea." This is what it's gonna do, and uh, now we got one. <laughs> others were working. Others were working on it, and um, I feel like yeah, I feel like a couple of like Tapad was was an early. Maybe I'm they had the data, so they had the data. What we did was weave it into the targeting, right? So I see. I see. We took data from Tapad. We took data from data data logics. You know, like partners, and and we did this the the stitching and the segmentation and the audience creation and the Basically, we layered it on top of the DSP, and it um, it, it was great. And so let's talk. Let's talk smart TV sticks and stuff. Yeah, I've had so in my house right now. I've got an Apple TV. I've got a Roku. I've got um, a Fire Stick. Right. I don't have a Chromecast anymore. I actually didn't love Chromecast. Um, I've had one before. I've had the stick, and I don't even know how it's evolved. But I didn't love Chromecast. I thought it was a little clumsy. But it's been a long time. I think Apple's UI is like this beautiful luxury experience. Um, but Apple TV is expensive shit. Yeah. Um, I have it on my big TV upstairs. But like, I think like Roku and Fire Stick are sort of similar-ish in like cost proposition. Similar. But Roku content-wise, I think is blowing all these guys out. Like, or, like they just. Well, so content is one piece. Uh, I have a Fire Stick and a Roku, um, and we don't use the Fire Stick really. We use yeah. The I have a Fire Stick, and, and it works uh, well, by the way. It's, but to it's me, like it's the UX UI, uh, the 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 way that you know to use Tech Talk, the way it the experience, the look and feel. Um, it, the Roku is really great, and the Amazon oh. one is just fine. You know, it's, yeah, it's fine. Utilitarian, I'd say, but the Roku one is really great. The Roku channel is very underrated like there's a lot of free content on there like they just yeah, that's what i mean like like roku on content is winning like in my opinion like i think the other ones are sort of like gateways to ecosystems where i think roku is roku roku is like really designed as a gateway to cool content i mean obviously you're in the roku os and you're doing roku things but it's really like at the center of roku is content in my opinion, at the center of like Apple and Amazon is their world. I love that because you can get anything like the search interface is so searches across apps, tells yes. you where it is. And if yes. you don't have Hulu, like like we wanted to watch a particular show, um, Little Fires Everywhere, which is a book. And, and my wife oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wanted to watch it. And it's He's on Hulu. Yeah. yeah. And it's on Hulu. Yeah. And it's amazing. Like if you yeah, want, I've seen it. I've seen it. like we we were like, OK, we're going to by hulu and it was like five clicks and we we yeah. and you had it it yeah. was done yeah 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 i'm a big fan of the roku devices and they, they're fast they work well the remotes are the handiest remotes out of all right. of them um 
I, I like I, I, I just think like Roku is a great democratizer in tech. I, I, I've always had this perception of them. I did a bunch of deals with Roku when I was at Oracle. Always had good experiences. All that being brands, said, there are some brands, right? That I, that I think we like. We're, what's what I'm seeing over all these episodes? We like to have people on from brands that do democratizing, and I think yes. like Roku is a good example of one. We need to have someone on from Etsy. We need to have like we Etsy. need to have some of these brands that are like uh, doing their thing and doing business too, but also like have an element that is that is uh, bringing. Oh, people- like we just had, we just did an Uber episode. Like Uber has like made transportation. Like, yes, totally agree with that. Um, I, I'm excited to talk about like how data makes Roku happen because it's like, there's the privacy piece of all this. It's awesome. It's a great UI. It's easy to work. It's, it's like very curated and, and amazing. The data processing on the back end of that thing must be significant. It's, it's, As is all. Adam, Adam uh, is one person, obviously, but like that that privacy stuff is layered through all these companies like he and i were in the trenches gdpr together yeah that's my product partner on gdpr you have to have awesome. cross business partners or otherwise you can't get anything done uh, when you're trying to do do big projects like that so well let's go talk about tv and stuff man i'm down here it is uh here we are we are here Adam, did you see behind Pedro? He has an Oculus. I, I see that. That's yeah. that's awesome. Um, it's it's your portal to the metaverse now, I guess, right? Yeah, I'm actually um, on my portal as I talk to you. So that ah, that's fantastic. Portal, yeah. There's that. Yeah, I've got so I've got the original Oculus development kit um, in oh, that nice. cabinet right there behind me, um, which is actually really really interesting. Um, uh, I was a, I was a I'm what you call like a very early adopter. Um, okay, cool. And uh, you know, it was one where, you know, you just you just hooked up the thing to the screen in front of you. It had no hand uh, gesturing or anything like that. You just literally sat at your computer, and like looked around. Oh my uh, goodness, that sounds good. Yeah, it was it was fun. I mean, you know, there wasn't many. Um, you, you had to build, you kind of had to build your own um, uh, things inside of it or download things that uh, you know other people have built. There was nothing commercially available. But it was you like, you build stuff so though. before so before we dig in like you build stuff you built an arcade game right uh yeah I built a I built an arcade uh stand up arcade units um, with a Roku TV as the um, uh, as the background as the uh, kind of display um, and I built it with like kind of a gaming PC inside of it um, but it it plays anything from the seventies to um, you know twenty twenty one which is which is fun. Um, and I had to like code so up it has the, all the, it has all the 80s games that we've featured on this podcast, probably. It does. It does. And I wish I could have it behind me. If I were at my old place, there would be like a cool arcade machine behind me. Um, but uh, right now it's like wrapped up because our, our basement is under construction at the moment. So um, unfortunately, like I can't even go, I can't even go play it right now, but um, I'm, I'm really missing it. I've, I've hooked the PC up. Um, so I could like get my get my fix in, but um, uh, it's it's not the same when you can stand up and hit the buttons. So for a gamer like you, the metaverse must be a very interesting concept. Uh, yeah, I mean, I also in this bookshelf have like the the book Snow Crash behind me. Um, I don't know if Pedro or if they even talk about it at Facebook. But it's actually where the term metaverse was. Uh, 
uh, coined by an author named Neil Stevenson. Um, it's kind of a dystopian future, um, but it's such a fun book and um, it like has some really interesting concepts. Um, I would I'd highly recommend it if, if I don't know if I, have you guys read it. I haven't read Snow Crash, but I've I've definitely read Ready Player One, which has a lot of the same the same idea. Yeah. 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 yeah I've, I've gone through both of those. I, I actually wish they would have made the Snow Crash movie yeah. versus Ready Player One, but um, you know, maybe maybe one day it'll happen. Um, well, especially what do you think of your job now? So this is Adam Markey, the director of product management of the ad platform at Roku. Um, that's our guest. Uh, what, what do you think, based on your job now mm-hmm. and you know, what's happening at Roku and you think about the future, what, what kind of technology do, are you guys thinking about when you are like thinking about what's around the corner, the, the metaverse be, being certainly one where video, where video or like AR, VR advertising mm-hmm. and those kinds of things are going to be a big part. Yeah, I mean, so at Roku, right, we're, we have the beauty that we can focus on something that is like really emerging, right, which is streaming TV, right? So like my day, day job, you know, has me thinking about, um, you know, streaming television and, and, and that um, aspect. And there's so much there to dig into that, like, that consumes us, you know, we're not worried too much about AR and VR or, or even the metaverse so much, um, right? But we're, we're really focused on people kind of sitting, um, sitting down, you know, and enjoying themselves uh, watching television on Roku or using the Roku app to kind of stream um, the Roku channel, which is, you know, one of the uh, major AVOD streaming platforms out there right now where, you know, people can go watch and watch some cool um, free content. Um, we got Roku originals and, and kind of things like that where people can watch TV on their phones as well as, um, you know, on a, on a traditional Roku device as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I think like the innovation there is really, it really excites me because you've got, you um, uh, we have the ability, we have an operating system to work with and play with and first party relationship with the consumer and with, um, with advertising, like that is not something, you know, coming from a world where I was, I worked at an independent third party, um, demand side platform before Roku, um, you didn't have the ability to like really engage with consumers or create a, like a consumer experience that was beyond like a, IAV standard ad unit, right? So that we have the ability to like engage in um, in the OS and pop up like um, uh, an experience that is you know really starting to think about like the consumer watching the TV, respectful of that, but like giving them something of value in return is like um, you know kind of where we're focused um, on the on the future there. You mentioned a really interesting piece, and that's one I wanted to ask Pedro also. Like when you go from ad tech platform to consumer facing platform, but still still monetizing via ads. What is that shift like? Yeah, that's, uh, I don't know, Pedro, if you've got some thoughts, I'd love, love to hear that. And um, uh, yeah, I've got, I've got a few as well. Oh, I, no, I'd rather hear from you, but I can tell you like, <laughs> the question is, what is the transition like, Andy? I don't know that I, made that transition so when you when you went from oracle to okay. to salesforce yeah for example it's a different 
it's a different relationship with the customer and so oh, i see the question i understand the question and the data relation i guess i mean i like it's probably unfair because oracle and salesforce has, have a lot of overlap as a broader business but if you're th- if you're talking about kind of like ad tech side of oracle you know martech side of salesforce it's a it's a different data animal to me i look i i mean like it's i think it's like the relationship with the customer is more driven by the well the relationship to the data is what really matters i think right like and so how you intake the data that you quote unquote monetize um and when you're in like a salesforce role right like you're a service provider you're a you know you're working on behalf of other companies so you're going to be very limited in what you can do besides what you're licensed or permitted to do by the customer who's actually the you know quote unquote controller or owner of that data um Oracle has some of that too, but like when you talk Oracle data cloud, sometimes they're doing direct ingestion, right? Through like add this or other mechanisms. Yeah. Um, but most of the time, Oracle also was sort of like a third party data player. At mm-hmm. Meta, you know, like now it's like a first party data play, right? Direct con- direct relationship to users. What I've been thinking more and more about though, um, is that like, as it relates to users themselves, I don't think they care about the third party versus first party distinction. I don't think they see it, first of all. And I don't think it's meaningful to them. We've created all these apparatuses around first party versus third party for like compliance and controls. And, you know, the controls only apply to this type of data versus that type of data. And that's all really cool for the industry. But if I'm the user, I don't really care about any of this. I'm just like, what data are you collecting? I don't care how. Give me some control over how you can use it, right? And- <laughs> That's such a good point. From, from, the, from the person's perspective, we're all like too far down the rabbit hole in this stuff, but from right, right. the casual observer, uh, they probably assume, I think they do assume, like everybody has all my data anyway. First party, third party, second party, zero party, all the term, you know, all the terms of art out there, like the data's out there. So really it's about control, transparency, and what can I do with it? Right. And it's, I mean, the, the problem is, is like, I think consumers, you know, are, you know, definitely, um, a, they don't have control over their entire scope. Like you can go to a single place, like you can go to Meta, you can go to Roku, you can understand what data like they've collected about, about you, right? Thanks to, you know, good, good, good laws, CCPA and GDPR laws and things like that, right? Um, but you don't have like that experience across like your world. Like, you know, you're still, you're still not in control of your entire data universe um, as a consumer. And I feel like, you know, th- there's an opportunity there somewhere um, uh, to get in front of it and like to build the user experience for, you know, control of data. That's, you know, uh, ideally, like to me, I'd love to see it, you know, something agnostic, um, you know, cross-platform and, and federated, you know, somehow um, where it's easy to share data across platforms and things like that. But, um, you know, it's, uh, but, um, but also like kind of remaining private at the same time, um, you know, clean rooms get pretty close to that, you know, in, in the world of like ad technology and, and, and all that, but, you know, we, we definitely have a ways to go in terms of like the interfaces and yeah. building and building an ecosystem that allows, um, you know, kind of this like world of advertising to, to operate. Um, and, uh, and ultimately just, um, you know, provide value to users and then also provide value back to, to marketers to keep like things, you know, the reason advertising exists and it works is that it actually like creates content for people and allows people to watch ad supported 
um, content and you know consume things that they normally wouldn't wouldn't have access to. What's the uh, like when you um, are working with legal and policy uh, and privacy legal? What's that like now for you? You know, it, it, we worked yeah. together at Data Zoo where you know, it was turn around and tap each other on the shoulder. I, I'm imagining it's quite different. You know, the 300 person company is very different. You know, what's it like now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, it's still small. Um, so Roku is not a huge company. We're not like the size of Meta. We're not the size of a Google yet. Um, so we have the, you know, we're still pretty nimble. Um, so, you know, I, I can I can call up anybody on our on our legal team and our privacy team, and they understand the platform. Like, so they understand the ad platform, what's happening there. We've gone through the data flows. Like we've created like a good presentation on like, here's how we collect and use data and all that fun stuff. And, and, and people, you know, actually understand that. Like most people on the legal team that we work with on, on the ads um, side, which is really great. Um, so I feel like, you know, um, right now, just, you know, in 2022, um, based on everything that has happened, like, you know, the lawyers that we can actually kind of work with, they understand these flows now, which is, you know, new and different. Um, now the, the, the challenge becomes, right, the, the kind of um, scale and like the additional um, uh, kind of protections we need to have because we're a you know, coming from a third party world where we didn't have a first party relationships with the consumer, we have we have a different relationship with um, with people on the Roku platform. We we um, uh, and we have more data, right, kind of in our systems that we need to make sure is remains private um, and we need to protect um, uh, in in ways that you didn't need to do in a completely anonymous you know um, world that we had before. We know who you know who people are. We know what they're watching, um, and uh, you know that's that's really important to kind of keep um, uh, you know the keep the consumer in mind like as a as a first guiding principle, and it's and it's something that um, we have to think about. Um, for everything that we do um, when we're using data, and especially when we're like kind of working with partners, um, you know, everything that we do on the partner side of the world is totally different now. That's the mindset um, shift I was talking about before. Like, I, I I went I went through it too. You know, when you transition mm -hmm. from a device focused environment to a person focused mm -hmm. environment, it is different. The expectations are different. Um, exactly. Exactly. Your case, Pedro, B to C, it's just a different. Yeah, it's a different animal. But I, I was going to ask you, Adam, like, after listening to you, like, who are Roku's competitors? Is it like, mm -hmm. like Amazon Fire Stick and Google Chrome? Like, who are the competitors? Yeah. How does that? Yeah, work? yeah. I can, maybe I can break this down. Um, uh, so Roku, right? So everybody knows Roku came, there was a Roku box. There's like sticks, yeah. pots, yeah. Um, and all of those things you could plug into an HDMI port and like get the streaming. Um, um, good, great streaming experience, right? Um, additionally, what we've done, um, which may be kind of less, less widely known, is that um, we have a TV operating system, right? So um, if you go to Walmart, Best Buy, I don't know if you were, you were there over the weekend, you see um, three main TV operating systems um, that are powering most televisions that are, that are sold in America now, right? So 
Um, Roku has an OS that you know comes by default on, on a lot of these televisions that, that are happening. There's there's Google Android OS, and then there's the Fire OS. So we really have kind of those those two businesses. Um, right now, we're the largest OS um, for for TVs that are just kind of distributed um, across America, which is which is really cool on the you know kind of on the panel. So we work with device manu or the, the TV manufacturers. And we're able to give them an operating system and they don't have to go and, you know, like a Samsung and you know, produce the, um, the operating system along with the TV. And, and a lot of our kind of advantage is like we have one OS across the sticks, the pucks, the TVs, and we can like kind of quickly, um, you know, make changes and make it easy for developers to, you know, deploy new, new apps to the, to the connected TV ecosystem without having to worry about like, 15 different builds of the TV or anything like that. So, so it's like, white, a great job like doing that. it's like label it, it, it's white labeled essentially. Um, it's not white labeled. So like when you, when you get, say um, you go to a, get a TCL TV um, uh, from, from Best Buy um, when you log on, you're using, you know, you're, you're I actually have one here. Uh, you're using your Roku remote. Like this is actually from a Westinghouse that I'm, I'm testing out. Like one of, one of the benefits of working at a, with Westinghouse being like those big boxes, yep. Mm -hmm. They still, uh, yeah. And so you see Roku, you see Roku, the OS. You're you're kind of living in it, um, and uh, you know, I get I get to test out the alpha versions, which is kind of fun. So I have one over here. Um, it's an exciting exciting thing. Pedro um, gets to test the glasses, and and the uh, well, they're out there now. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I get to test all the apps too, like in beta, which is a lot of fun. Because well, right, right. right. Except when they're crashy and buggy, then they're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, but it is are, fun. It is fun to be like sort of ahead of like what is in market, right? Like that's kind of cool. Exactly. You know, it's it's fun. I mean, and um, you know, on the advertising front, um, like there's there's so much happening in, in television right now um, with uh, um, uh, you know with with advertising. Like it's it's changing. You know, you know, you've got we've got linear. We've got people watching linear television that we're able to you know, actively start to um, uh, understand what they're watching. And, you know, it's, it's public about a, an acquisition we made um, with, uh, with Nielsen Advanced Video Advertising that there's, there's the ability to kind of cut into a live stream of kind of linear TV and, and you know, insert ads, right? And that's, that's some of the stuff that we're testing out right now, um, which, is, which is kind of really, really cool, um, really cool technology. Um, I'm curious on the meta side, like, are you using those, um, the, the Oculus uh, over there to like go to meetings and stuff? Is that? Yeah, we do use it. I mean, it's still like, I mean, it's harder to do than I'd want it to be at this point, but I can yeah. see the potential of where it's going. It's going to be really cool. I think part of the reason it's hard for me is because I'm goofy, but um, <laughs> I, it's actually a really cool setup where you're in the meeting and you're like sort of an avatar and you're with other people. But you can actually meet with people who don't have the device. They just show up, like picture a normal conference room, right? Yeah, and you're yeah. at a table. All the people wearing the Oculus are with you at the table. Mm -hmm. But the people who don't have Oculus are on the screen in the virtual world, like as if you were in a real conference room. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, that's pretty cool. So that's sort of how it works now. And it, it's, it's cool. It's cool. And so it's like a hybrid scenario, which I think is the best, most inclusive way to do this because not everybody's going to have an Oculus device, right? But right, you should right, still right. be able to like optimize for people that like do both. Um, when, you it, like, device, I mean, when you don't have the yeah. device on, Pedro, what does it look like to you? 
Um, just, um, like like a Zoom, and like the people in the mm. conference room are these little avatars in a box, same way they would be if they were in yeah. a conference room by and, themselves. And is the avatar or with each other? The avatar animated and talking and moving its arms. Like, yeah, he's doing yeah. his little thing. Yeah, right. he's doing his little thing. And st- it's not like you know, it's not super anthropomorphic yet, right? Like it's not like a full. Well, I guess it is anthropomorphic, but it's not like you. Uh, but I feel like we're heading in that direction. I mean, if you see what like. You know the big metaverse. Uh, I don't even know what to call it. Announcement or or like just media that mark that big mark video from a few weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, like the that is not far fetched, right? Like it's not the present, but it's not far fetched. And I I see the engineering streams working in that direction. So we're gonna build. Yeah. And I, you know, I I'm, I'm excited for that future because of like if we get the pricing right and we get access right, and this really matters. Like if the metaverse is an inclusive space, um. A lot of barriers to communication and working could be mitigated or even disappear, right? Like, right. just think people with disabilities, like, you know, just there's a hundred reasons why, like, this is a could be a big equalizer, but there are barriers to that too, which is like, if the devices cost $30,000, like, the you know, like, this is just not going to be accessible to a lot of people. Then there's like the broadband issue. There's a million reasons why this could not work out the way we everyone wants it to. But if it does, man, we're gonna change. I think the world's gonna change for like the better, right? That's like, awesome. The metaverse just can't reflect the real world to be like a racist, hostile place. We have to figure out how to not repeat our mistakes because the yeah. internet is a racist, hostile place, right? right. And right. we built that 30 years ago. Oh, and and a, so and we have to like just get away from that. There's a direct conversation to be had about the approach that one company that makes, you know, uh, silvery laptops and phones with a fruit logo on it that approaches things from a high cost, high cost, high barrier to entry um, and utilizes privacy in certain ways uh, versus the device being affordable for people and taking a different approach. And Google's taken a different approach and others have too. So that you're saying like, we have to, we have, I like what you're saying in the sense of uh, we've got to be thoughtful now. If we don't now, it's going to be too late. Everything's going to be developed, and it's going to be too late. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I mean there's there's kind of a lot of not not just the, the you know the broadband access issues and um, the device cost, but also like there's there's a data sharing problem. There's a there's a, there's infrastructure of kind of connecting that. Like you know how how do we you know layer things on top of our world in a way that like really um, uh, can keep data safe. Um, cause I, I think like the internet, you know, with HTTP and the protocols that were, were developed and all of that, like we didn't think about that. And, you know, we ended up with pixels and cookies and, um, redirects like, so, you know, you know, really specifically, how do we, how do we get around that? How do we plan for that? Um, how do you plan for something like identity, right? Um, to, to, to be, to be something that like, doesn't get, um, you know, um, completely, um, you know, pushed in one direction um, uh, for, you know, for the benefit of some and not, not everybody, right? Um, like that, that's going to be an interesting problem over the next uh, few years, I think. I don't know if Facebook's also working on those things. Yeah, I mean, or, I think we all that. are. Let me ask you more, but like, so like, what, I mean, advertising on TV has been around since probably the first TV, right? I mean, uh, the first TV went like on like broadcast TV. Um, and so uh, like what's 
like what's the future of contextual in the context of like non-linear television right like contextual advertising mm -hmm. i think has like some cool advantages in a tv screen I, I guess my question for you is like is it a viable replacement for personalized advertising is it yeah. just an add-on like what how do you see it in the tv context like yeah i think there's, that, that's that, i mean that, that, that's a cool concept right like contextual uh, in and of itself can do a lot of things for us and i think it, there's, there's a few use cases right um one use case is contextually understanding what's, you know, if you can understand in real time what is being shown to a user, right, um, a consumer, you have a data element. And, and if there's a taxonomy of things that are machine readable so that you can kind of decode it and understand what's happening in a scene um, anywhere, you can do things like t-commerce, like number one, showing a product that um, is in the stream at some point in the experience for the user, right? Um, so that's a really cool concept where, you know, I could, you know, be watching, um, you know, the latest, uh, you know, the latest Gossip Girl and, you know, buying those, you know, great glasses that, you know, somebody has on the screen, you know, it, it has to be a great experience. Um, and that's something we're, we're really focused on in, in, in our UX streams right now, figuring out like, well, how do you, how do you deliver the content um, and how do you also then, you know, give an offer to somebody, right? Like, because it feels, and maybe I'm wrong about this, mm -hmm. but it feels more disruptive when you're watching television. Right. Like, obviously, Facebook is about feed, right? And Instagram and TikTok, everybody's about feed on, in those yeah. platforms. And and this is my personal view, like advertisements, mm -hmm. advertisements feel less disruptive to me, even though they're taking up screen space and like right. whatever. And I might like be scrolling through, see some product I like, click on it. Like buy it and then continue my scrolling, which yeah. is the same thing as if an ad pops up on the show I'm watching, I stop, I buy it or whatever, um, right. and then continue watching. But for some reason in my mind, it feels more disruptive on my TV. I agree. Yeah. Why yeah. is that? I don't I, know why I, that is. It, it is disruptive. And, and you know, like we, when we talk about the way we watch TV now, we watch on demand, we watch something on Roku or, or on our DVR. Like I've been watching as an example with my kids, I've been watching kids baking championship on the food network. The food network on <laughs> There's the a championship. Kids baking championship and it's on the food network. And I watch it every Saturday morning with my kids okay. and we fire it up on demand and it's the same commercials every right. single episode. Now there's a funny part of this, which I'm going to go into because it's so funny for a moment is my five, my five-year-old has memorized one of them. And one of them is a, com a commercial for it's on repeat, like for Lee and Perrin's Worcestershire sauce. And at the very end, it it, it says, you know, the typical brought to you by Lee and Perrin's. And I'm like, she, I was giving her a bath the other night and she's laughing and she turns and looks me straight in the eyes and goes, brought to you by Lee and Perrin's. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, that, I mean, that, that's, that's bath, great brand awareness. This bath um, is brought to you by Lee and Perrin's. Yeah. Like, Oh, yeah. so funny, but also like it, it is it, that does not happen unless we're seeing those. A five year old does not memorize a commercial unless she's seen it fifty times. Right. Yeah, sixteen times. Yeah. So like, if it were a different commercial, or if that product came up on my feed later, like that mm -hmm. is a better experience. Yeah, no, you're right, and um, you know we're talking about like just dis disrupting the experience. So our, our CEO, you know Anthony Wood, he he kind of 
you know, he's given a great analogy. Like people want to like sit down at their TV and watch TV and like, you know, drink a beer, drink wine, whatever, the, whatever they want to do to relax. Like the last thing you want to do is get interrupted with an ad while you're watching TV. Right. So there, there are experiences where, you know, you can get around that. Like right? we all have mobile phones, right. Um, we all have apps um, that are with us while we're watching TV and, and with us, you know, with the rest of the, the rest of the day. So if an offer maybe showed up on your phone, related to what you you saw that one might be a little bit less disruptive so these are all things that are kind of like in concept right now and you know, we're going to think of, it's creepy yeah. though like there, there's yeah. always going to be the people that think it's creepy there's going to be the people that think that that instagram uh is listening to them which is mm -hmm. one of my favorite my favorite ones where i'm always like listen if you tell me the things that you did the week before i guarantee i can come up with why you saw that ad and right. And it's not because there's a microphone, you know, listening to you, but exactly, exactly. Uh, it, it, and, and like, it's, it's funny because it like solves one problem, which is like the disruptive nature of TV ads, but it creates the other ones. It's like the creepiness problem, right? Um, I, let me ask you this again, because I'm super interested in this like TV situation. So what I've seen in sports, since we were talking about the metaverse, is like augmented localized advertising. So just, mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys watch football. Mm -hmm. um, and I watch less and less football. It's incredible how little football I watch these days. But you'll see the football field. And it used to be that, like, there would be, like, like painted on the grass, you know, whatever, some brand, whatever it is. Craft. It just says craft on the grass. Like, somebody sprayed it on the actual grass. Now you've got this, like, overlay, like, augmented reality ad that shows up in the grass that mm -hmm. moves with the field. But the most interesting part is that, like, if we're both watching, I don't know, the Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Baltimore Ravens, the three of us are watching it yeah. in different places. That ad is different for all of us, right? Totally, totally. So we're actually watching the same football game, but experiencing it differently. Um, uh, and so there's an augmentation there. The that's that's what ha like people have been seeing different ads for a long time. I guess the point is it's in content, different right. experience, right? So like. Is there any thinking about how to layer advertisements in this augmented way into the actual content? I know people have been doing product placement and shit like that for 100 years, but like this sort of like ARE way of doing it, which is like, for example, I'm watching the content. I put on my fancy little glasses with the fancy little widget, and now my content is augmented with whatever I want, which can be cool stuff, but also ads. Um, mm -hmm. And then now we actually don't have to have disruptive stuff, like just stuff can show up on my glasses or whatever. I'm making this up. I'm not saying that this exists, but yeah. is there work on your end or do you know of work like sort of to like create this augmented TV experience um, that I'm watching sports and other types of telecasts do? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're, we're, we're probably a few years away from things like that, right? Like the, the dynamic contextualization of a video is, is, you know, just coming up to speed right now, technology wise, right? So um, there are companies that have low latency APIs to understand what's happening. Like typically a lot of this stuff happens in like kind of a high latency environment, which is like really not great for, um, for, for that kind of experience. So you really need like super low latency technology. And then you need a taxonomy that like machines can understand, like glasses are up on the screen. Uh, otherwise it just won't scale really well. Um, um, you know, think about like the IAB V3 taxonomy or V2 um, taxonomy about like what content is and things like that. Um, so we, we need to make the machines talk to each other. 
um, uh, from a you know from somebody that's like placing content to the content itself. Um, so you know, I think I think we're probably a ways a ways out from that. But the the foundations and like kind of what I said earlier, like the infrastructure is coming into place, um, and uh, you know we're going to see more and more of that. Um, it wouldn't be that hard. It wouldn't be that hard to take the the product placement and make it dynamic, right? In the sense that you're filming a movie, you're filming a show. Mm -hmm. And the people doing it obviously are fueled by advertising and making money. So like there's a, there's, a, there's a scene where Adam is driving in his Corvette and there's a billboard and that billboard is digitally <laughs> rendered, right? Such that a dynamic ad could be placed in it. I think that's what you're talking about, Pedro. And I think that like, whether that's in the metaverse or whether that's in like streaming content, like it has to go that direction in some way. Right. Right? That that billboard, because you're in Georgia, should be Coca-Cola. And that billboard for me here in Boston should be something different, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I think that's right. Um, I think I like, it's funny because the metaverse stuff is so cool and everyone wants to talk about it. I think TV is mm. like, is the is this like surface where all of this is going to get matched out like 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 v1 of all of this happens in tv exactly. i think now i think you're, you're you're totally you're definitely onto something there and in terms of like the, you know the metaverse i think people you know immediately go to like vr glasses and all that right it's really not it's just like it's about an experience that right. like comes into us in all of our devices right like my watch could be a, a, a way to engage, right? My TV can be a way to engage. Obviously, my phone is a portal. I agree. Uh, the glasses will be the most, the, the headset will be the most immersive way. Right. And, and because you actually depart your environment and your mm -hmm. mind anyway. Your point, like, like circle back, Pedro, your point about how work is going to be done is like a very interesting piece of it. Like not everyone's going to have the glasses. Somebody's going to be remote. They're going to be driving. Like yeah. you still want to be in the meeting and they have to be in the meeting and they have to show up and they have to have an interface to do it. And it's going to be, it's going to look and feel a little bit different, but it has to work together. Like it all has to work. Yeah. It all has mm -hmm. to work. I want to ask one more thing before we go here. So like Adam, you're into cars. Pedro, you're into cars. Oh, I love this. I want to ask this question. <laughs> um, do you, like Adam, how often when you're doing your job, developing product, thinking about things, how often do you think, like, I know you and I know you must be thinking about cars sometimes. So <laughs> how does it like, how does it come up? Does it ever come up technologically? Does it come up in your mind when you're talking about things? Like the way cars work yeah. is not, is not there are relationships here, you know? Right, right, right. So I think like for me, cars come into it. So I'm probably like one of the biggest Formula One fans. Oh, we got to uh, talk. Yeah, excellent. All right, I good. literally right. took off my Mercedes Formula One hoodie and put on my corporate brand shit right before I came. So Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I have- uh, Shout out to Lewis Hamilton. My Mercedes hat is somewhere here. Good, good. Mercedes I was going to ask you if you are a Max Verstappen fan, and if you were, we were going to end the call right now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm actually, a, I'm, I, I vote for Lando. Um, I oh, think I like Lando. Um, yeah, he's, he's my up and coming um, favorite. Um, I, like I, I just Lando love what good. Max and Lewis are doing right now. Um, it's awesome. one of the best seasons awesome. I've, I've ever seen. And, um, it, it like, and, and to me, like Formula One is inspiring in so many ways um, sure. that you have the you know, you obviously have the drivers and the driver personalities, um, and the 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 really interesting thing about it is like there's so much behind the scenes, even behind the drivers, like the 
there's the team, there's a the manufacturer, every car is bespoke and different. Um, and, uh, you know, there's you know, so many millions of dollars poured into that. And then behind the scenes, there's hundreds of people looking at data and understanding what's what's happening to the car and, and every little aspect around the track. So it actually, like that relates to, to my job a lot because we're, we're operating a ad platform that's operating at 5 million you know, queries per second, um, evaluating ad opportunities, trying to connect data into it. And you think about like, okay, that Formula One car driving around the track, like, you know, what, what, what are those things that they're looking at to make sure that like the, uh, the tires aren't going to explode and the, um, you know, when brakes won't burn, yeah, when do I open DRS? I'm like, when do I like, um, come in for a pit stop, right? Like all when I, when I'm, you know, kind of developing like those metrics for like keeping the service levels and the system online, like I'm actually thinking about formula one and like what they're looking at there. Um, which is that was, a, that was a good question. Andy. I look at yeah, you know, you, you, you know, I, I love what, but, but I want to say this because I think this is so cool. Like the like the thread you just, the things you just connected. Um, you know how I've said Andy that like uh, ad tech is sort of like the Kanye West of privacy or whatever. Man, like ad tech is also like there's a Formula One analogy here because like, you know, we all drive our little like safe cars. I've got my little like. SUV back there and, and, you know, people drive their Priuses and whatever, but like all of the technology in our regular ass boring cars that we drive, all the cool shit in our car comes from formula one experimentation and all this other stuff. Right. And it like trickles in to the like world that we operate in. Ad tech mm -hmm. is like that quite a bit for like all of these other use cases that people love. Right. So people are like, mm -hmm. I hate advertising, like surveillance, capitalism, all this other shit. Right. But I love me a curated timeline. That's I right. love me that TikTok feed that is just for me and perfect. I love that when I log onto the bank, all the things are exactly where I want them every single time. Mm -hmm. I love that all these curated like online. I love that Netflix tells me what movie to watch and all of this right. other stuff. Right? How Most about, of that how about the emergence of every came out through the ad tech side? That's the side. emergence That's of nearly mind. the emergence of nearly every D to C brand, like. Right. <laughs> and the platform for D2C brands to speak directly to you about products that you want. Right. Like all of a sudden there's no, there's no dollar shave club. There's no uh, right. for mattress. There's no like curated, you know, I don't know. Oh, we <laughs> got to do a formula one episode. This is Cheap my favorite blanket. I, I'm with this, you. I'm with you. No, but you're, yeah, but you're right. Like the connection to like innovation data, like, obviously like not leveraging data for right. insight and signal, I mean, you could look to Formula One and be like, these guys are pioneers at all of this, right? Like, it's just unbelievable. Exactly. And I think if you, in the context of like internet experiences, you got to look to ad tech. Oh. Right, right. So, all right. So ad tech is, we are working in Formula One by working in advertising technology. So like, the, you know, that, that's one of those things where I'm like, man, I, you know, that I could apply my knowledge there and like, you so, know, you know. Let's go get jobs at a Formula One team. Let I'm me, let me go, let me go one level higher because I'm, I'm yeah. not the Formula One fan that you guys are, but I did watch Drive to Survive. I, 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 <laughs> I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express. Uh, That's right. Nice. Basically, I look to it. What I learned from it is uh, like stuff about leadership, like mm -hmm. the, the data and stuff and all the things that you you talk about. That's really cool. But like when you go behind the scenes and you watch that show or you learn about Formula yeah. One at all, realizing what's happening there is actually really interesting. Like there, there's yeah. the, the role of the driver, the role of the the team leader like the the business behind it like yeah, no, nobody no. people are aware of mclaren 
as a fancy car brand, but they're not really aware of the things that you just said. Like, well, how are those things relating to the to their brand? And what, yeah. why do they do it? Why do they spend millions of dollars over here? Why does Mercedes do it? Like, well, they do it for very specific reasons, business reasons. There's also like marketing and brand reasons to do it, but like they're also doing it for product development and innovation and totally. uh, and and leadership. And uh, yep. those those um, what's the what's the role of the like? I guess the I don't even know the title of the person, but like the person with the headset that's really running the show, the team leader, like that's a really impressive person because they're managing all these different personalities and the harmoniousness of that team. Like I look to that kind of stuff and I'm like blown away. By it. Yeah. You look at like Toto Wolf and Christian. Toto, Hammer, man. And I was going to say Toto. Like, yeah. Exactly. They're, I mean, they're, they're, they're amazing. Like two different personalities, but they're, they're getting the job done and, you know, creating a high performance culture, which, um, you know, is, is good. You know, there, there's like good aspects to that. And, um, you know, kind of some, some crushing aspects to that, like what, 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 uh, what's happening to like, you know, Valtteri right now, he's a, he's a great guy. Um, uh, but then, you know, he, you know, here comes George, um, right behind him, you know, you got the new, new blood in and like, you, you, you're always performing at the maximum, I think. But we'll stick, look, sticking with the formula one analogy on privacy, right? Yeah. The teams are rapid innovation. They're competitive, okay? Right. They're looking to like find any edge they can. But mm -hmm. it's called Formula One because there's a formula and they have to operate within these rules, right? And when they break the rules, they lose, you know, they lose, they lose races, exactly. they lose pole position, they lose, you know, the ability to gain points, whatever. Like Andy and I talk a lot about like, what is the operating framework for all mm. of the data uses out on in the world? And one of the frameworks is privacy. I think another one is like data integrity uh, and, and security, which are they're related, but they're not the same. Right. Um, and, and then I think there's a couple others. Yeah. There's very clear rules in Formula One. I mean, there, there's yeah, some interpretation yeah. in every rule, but there's a rule book for right, privacy exactly. practitioners. We don't really have that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. And I, and I like, I'd love to riff on that a little bit because like there's, there's, there's privacy data security as, as a, you know, core component of that. But then like also you know, there's content consumption and, and getting value. Like the consumer should get value. That's like one part of it. Like, and the other part of it is that like the marketer should be able to measure it and understand that like, I knew that it really worked. Um, and like, you know, I think if you, if the industry kind of came together a little bit, you could you could probably start to take those things and you know build your little Formula One rule book. Um, that's why I've always felt that's why I've always felt the tension in Europe around around yeah. advertising and all the pushback and all the resistance would would have its ultimate foil come from the market and come from the fact that the marketer is spending dollars. It's a big economy they have to measure it. Like you made a really good point right there. Like I can't measure it if I don't have technology to deliver it. If I'm delivering contextual ads uh, on the internet, like it's just limited. My ability to, to do it is limited. My ability to measure it is limited. I'm going to spend fewer dollars and your mm -hmm. economy suffers. And I've always felt like, you know, we talk about like privacy, uh, like fun, fundamentalist is a wrong word, but like ad, heavy, hardcore advocates, like- right anti-cookie, you know, strongly and making claims and making cases that are built upon the GDPR. So it's not like, the, it's mm -hmm. not wild. It's just like the method. And then the, the interplay with the market has always gotten me like you're going to ultimately bump up against the economy.
right. privacy exactly. absolutists is my term. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, go. like it's like everything is about privacy. No, it's not. Like there's a lot of things here and there's trade-offs that can be made and should be made depending on people's exactly. expectations. And I think in like back to Formula One, sort of the same thing. Like, you know, like if you want to max out uh, like how light your car is, you're going to have to take some screws out. Like it's just that <laughs> simple. There's like there's no other way. And so you're constantly making trade-offs. And I think. Yeah. Exactly. We have I think to think about data leveraging the same way. Right, right, right. And I think there's there's a way to build that framework on some key assumptions that I don't think a lot of people are thinking about right now. Like, you know, probably people are having these conversations and in, in kind of silos saying like, okay, well, what does the future look like? Well, you know, an assumption is, you know, all data probably will be opted in at some point. Um, nobody's going to have census level data for everything. Like no, no one company will actually, right? And, uh, and, and maybe they probably shouldn't. Um, but there has to be a way to create that connection to share, to share in the context of you know, giving value to a consumer, yeah. giving measurement to a marketer, and, and, and kind of really kind of creating the trade-off where we can like have a good environment together where you know, experiences are, I ultimately think it's not about advertising. It's about like a brand giving an experience to a consumer somehow and you know, trading a little bit of uh, information in order to you know, measure how well that worked and to introduce them to a product and to you know, um, ultimately make somebody aware of a brand. I mean, I think that's, that's all what we, what we want to like kind of build towards. Um, but there's just kind of no infrastructure. Can it, going back to the metaverse, like the plumbing of it, like the plumbing is not thought of, the protocols aren't there um, for us to like do any of that right now. Um, and, you know, I think like, you know, personally, that's that's something I'm always thinking about in addition to Formula One. Um, last, so question, like, last question, and, and I, um, it is related to speed. We're yeah. talking about fast things. What, this is off topic, what is the best fast food? <laughs> And this, uh, that's includes, this, this includes, one's to me, right? Okay. This includes so fast easiest. casual. This includes fast casual. Right. So I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and like say that the Burger King spicy chicken. Whoa. Did not see casual. this coming. Well, so that you're going with an item, not a, not a restaurant. Okay. So the specific item, the, the, the specific item, okay. um, because I've been so blown away by this. What's it called? The Burger thing. King. What? The spicy. A spicy chicken sandwich. Chicken. Um, the chicken. Yeah. So they have, yeah, it's it's funny. Uh, it's a good brand play, but okay. like I think they nailed it on the sandwich, like the chicken sandwich front. So, so you're telling. I just want to. I just want to be super clear here. Yeah. You're telling me this is this is controversial. This is this is this is this is a big deal. Is. You're telling me that the Burger King spicy chicken sandwich. Yeah. Is better than the Popeyes chicken sandwich, and the Chick Fil A chicken sandwich. Yes. Yeah. And here's why. Um, so Burger Kings are everywhere, number one. So you could always find them. The second one is there's the, with the spicy chicken, they have figured out like the Nashville spiced seasoning. Okay. Um, so if you've ever gone to Nashville, had Nashville hot chicken. Um, there's, there's like something, there's something about that. That's different than the, like the Chick-fil-A. It's dipped and it's covered. Like it's a, it's a, dip, dip. it's covered. There's a little wetness to it. There's some yeah. spice like, and there's some heat. There's some sweetness. Um, they, they, they figured it, they figured it out. Honestly, like, I don't know if people have, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I've only gone to like one Burger King around me and like, you know, been, been inspired. <laughs> um, and then all of them else are, they're like terrible everywhere else. But like, whatever <laughs> I mean, makes like the best, 
Like, I don't, I don't even want to go to Chick-fil-A anymore. It's it's totally. That's wild. crazy talk. Pedro, I want to hear, hear your, like your Chick-fil-A and uh, I've seen your Chipotle app. So I've seen the points you're accruing on the Chipotle app. If you see the points on my Chick-fil-A app, you'll lose your mind. If Chick-fil-A is watching this, y'all better call me your best customer. I've been a red member for like three years. I have tens of thousands of Chick-fil-A points. I love Chick-fil-A. I think the company's got some controversies and they need to figure that out. But like food-wise, it's my, it's, it's my go-to fast food when I want fast food. I'm from Miami. Burger King's from Miami. The first Burger King That's ever right. is go. in Miami. I've been actually had back in the days. I've been to that. I don't know if it's still there, but I've been to that Burger King. Um, and their headquarters was right down the road from where I grew up for, for many years. What's your favorite item? What's the, what's your favorite fast I mean, food? I used to, my high school was across, like right up the street from a Burger King. And dude, they'd have like, I don't remember what day of the week it was, but they'd have like the 1990s, but they have like dollar Whoppers. And yeah. I was broke <laughs> i'm in high school man so me and like my friends would like during lunch we'd have like three dollars and we'd walk we have 35 minute lunch and we'd leave the campus walk the fucking quarter of a mile over to the burger king get our whoppers and walk our ass back for fourth period and we did that a lot so shout out to burger king for feeding me when during high school three, and I'm still alive you got three whoppers or did you get two and a drink I'd get a Whopper and a drink and sometimes a small fries for three bucks. <laughs> okay? right, exactly. like, this That's a steal. Talk. Can't beat that. Like, so my thing. No data processing. It was all cash. <laughs> I think that this is a little bit bougie, I suppose. Like, but my favorite fast food is Shake Shack. And oh, Shake Shack. It's yeah, so right. good. And they have gluten free buns. And that's all. Oh, by the way, I'm gluten free. So, yeah. Shout out to Chick Fil A and uh, Shake Shack. They both have uh, gluten free buns. Burger King's had, I don't think has crossed that Rubicon just yet. Neither I, has McDonald's. I think um, Shake Shack has perfected the the flat burger, right? Like the For smash sure. burger. It's it's amazing. Sure. I agree, that's amazing, and and that's probably up there on my list. But you still got to try that chicken sandwich. Like ah, I'm gonna try this. Thing. I can't eat the yeah. bready, but I will eat the ah, yes. Yeah, yeah, I can't eat the bread. Yeah. So unless it's like grilled, I can't. That's why I can't do Chick Fil A sandwiches anymore. Everything's got to be grilled. But I'm yeah. sure they could do it. We got to go. We got to do it. We got to do a DPBC offsite in Nashville. That's actually what we have to do. I thought you were going to say at a Burger King. I'm disappointed. I want to do it at a Burger King. I want to wear the King hat. I want to do all the things. That's right. Have you been? Have you been to Prince's Hot Chicken in Nashville? Or like, it's incredible. Hattie is B's. Hattie B's in Nashville? Hattie B's. Hattie B's is shit. Hattie B's is Hattie B's. They have a Hattie B's here in Atlanta. It's unbelievable. The grilled chicken strips are to die for. Spicy oh, ones. Yeah, they're so hot. good. So. That sounds good. Super privacy talk. We Adam, That's right. Adam, thanks for joining us, buddy. Oh, my goodness. Thanks, that man. So hey, fun. wait. Before we go, one thing yeah. about Roku, because I always yeah. like to say something cool about brands that I like. Roku democratized smart TV, in my opinion. This shit, Apple TV was way too expensive and it still is way too expensive for the average person to like yeah. buy into. Um, uh, when Roku came out with the stick and the, the little square top, I don't remember what it was called, but the little box, like the prices on these things just dropped significantly and made smart television accessible to millions of people who otherwise could not have done it. That is a fucking super cool thing to do. It forced Amazon to price itself down. It forced Google Chromecast to price downward. I think that's awesome. Shout out to Roku for making people like have access to like cool technology at early stages when it's not just like now it's so cheap we don't give a shit who adopts, but actually that's making right, it accessible. Right. That's, that's the right, right way to do things. 
Yeah, I love it. I love it. And um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're just lucky to, um, to, you know, be, be part of, and, and personally, like being able to, um, uh, you know, be part of that consumer experience um, as, as an advertising platform. Like, I'm, I'm just so happy we can give people great content in addition to, you know, cheap devices um, that do a lot. Um, you know, you can turn on a Roku TV right now and like, watch some really great shows um, in Spanish, there, by the way, Spanish. just put that exactly. out there too. Super fire. Exactly. Um, yeah. We're, uh, we're launching in Mexico. We're actually the number one OS in Mexico right now. Which Amazing. Is, um, Keep uh, that really stuff really up. Cool. I can tell you like I, I, when I was, when my mom was alive, I was trying to figure out how to make her TV smart. I bought her a Roku for three, two, three reasons. One Spanish content. Two, it was cheap. Yeah. Three, that remote is easy to use. Pick it's so easy. Yeah. 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 There's, there's no, like, you know, no buttons on it with numbers. You know, Easy to use. Big, big purple, purple. Yep, button. I love it. Like my kids, my Square. kids use it. It's fire. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, so it's easy. not fire. It's Roku. Fire. No. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, thanks buddy. Thanks, thanks man.